Tell me about everything I need to know about City GIS. What do you starting need now? Okay, in thirty <laughs> seconds, you give me a in thirty time seconds. Frame? <laughs> no, I think you need to look at City GIS as w the most important thing we do is service delivery. So mm -hmm. you know, as a citizen of Wilmington, you pay your taxes, and then you want something in return back for those taxes. So you want services yeah. delivered to you, whether it be fresh pickup, you want the police to respond to a call, you know. You don't yeah. want to be flooded during a storm. So jazz, jazz helps the city departments deliver those services in a more efficient and more uh, cost-effective way. Yeah. I think that's the, the core important of GIS in a city, uh, any city. It doesn't matter if it's Wilmington mm -hmm. or not. It's, it's the same in every city. We help create better service delivery. The second important part, and I uh -huh. think I'm going to be more than 30 seconds, um, <laughs> is going to be, you know, the system of record. Jazz is going to be, this is the system of record for a lot of features that the city manages. So mm -hmm. whether it be addresses, we we give new development addresses, we do street renaming, we um, are involved with stormwater billing, with the whole tax billing. Wow. It make, we need to make sure that the data that we have in our city GIS is correct and up to date. It needs to be authoritative. So it's that system of record. People need to trust GIS mm -hmm. to have the right data. And then the third part I think is important, and this is something that Jack Dangerman from Esri always was emphasizes, is the system of engagement. GIS mm -hmm. as a system of engagement. We want right. to engage our citizens. They want to, we want to be able to talk to them, but communicate with them. And GIS is a perfect way, story maps or you know, web maps apps to 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 yeah, yeah. To, to to reach them and, and get them involved in, in, in city government. And there's there's so many different ways that people can engage with, with the GIS, but I think and I I've think I've beat this horse dead that I, I don't think people really know what it is. They don't know enough about it. Mm. They might know the touch points. Like right. I, there's a, there's a map of the Wilmington and the Wilmington GIS that has all the potholes on it. Right. right? right. They might see that, but they're right. not really in tune with, with what it means. Um, how well, do we, and my how, question for you is yeah. then is like, how important is that, that they know that it's GIS? Cause I've got a mixed feelings yeah. about that. I think in one way I want to be, you know, almost like transparent. It's like people don't need to know that that's GIS technology. Right. Yeah. It's technology that helps them out. It's again, it's about the mm -hmm. service delivery. How important is that they know that that's GIS? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a great point. I don't know if it's necessarily matters if they know the extent the exact technology behind it. I mean, most right. people don't know how their phones work, right? but right. they know that the apps pop up. Right. But I think they do need to know where they can go to access these things. Right. It, you know, it's easily, you know, you put in a web browser, you search GIS city of Wilmington or any city right. that you, that you live in, right. you're, it should take you to that page. Right. Um, so you can get those resources. But I think so many people, I want to do a man on the street and go walk around and right. ask people if right. they know what it is. And I think our responses will be pretty predictable. But then you can ask them, do you use Google Maps? Do you use right. Apple Maps? Do you use, right. you know, it's like it's all GIS in a mm -hmm. way. So, I mean, I, I don't think many people realize it that way. And man, not many people see it that way. Yeah. For us, it, it is important, though, that people realize that the important function that we mm -hmm. have. Because, you know, it, when budget time comes around, we need to be recognized for the good work <laughs> that we do. Otherwise, they're going to cut off GIS budget. We don't That's want right. that to happen. So we, we do need... To, to kind of always make clear what GIS does for the city. I mean, you know, the mm -hmm. importance of it, how the city would how the city would be uh, provide lesser quality if GIS wasn't available. I mean, how would it so affect everyone? You, you mentioned along that same lines, you mentioned services. Mm -hmm. What would be the highest impact service that the GIS provides? 
or day-to-day life, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it, it could be anything. What's important for you? Is it crime? Is it like police responding in time to, to something happening? Yes, well, how, how are the, that's a matter of life and death kind of situation, right? <laughs> how are the police using the GIS on well, a you know, it's basis? like a, the 911 system, you know, it's like people call in, they say, uh, hey, I'm having trouble, I'm in this and this address, you know, that goes into the system and somebody in a police car gets, or like a fire truck gets, <laughs> gets, you know, gets sent to that address. So it's important to have correct <laughs> data. So the response time just you know is much much is much quicker when you know the right place to go to mm-hmm. and then the, the car or the fire truck can use routing. It's like well this is my fastest way. There's hey wait a second that that road is closed. I right. need to bypass that. So it's about you know delivery and fastness of of, of mm-hmm. getting there. So if you're if you're someone at the city state level and you're making these decisions about where the money goes. Like what's what's the sales pitch for why the GIS should should get more money, more funding? Well, the easiest way it's it's it is is actually a nine one one because it is really a matter of life okay. and death. You know, it's like the response time for for a fire if that is like twenty percent higher without GIS mm-hmm. that that involves lives potentially involves lives. So I mean, I think that's the main pitch for for anything that GIS does really is mm-hmm. that where GIS becomes like if somebody makes it makes it or not kind of deal. Right. And that's not always, you know, that's not always the best way of selling it because I do think uh, for a for a regular citizen, you know, your trash pickup might be even more important, right? Right. Like, and GIS is involved there as well. We have the trucks, we the the, the, the routes of the trucks get calculated with GIS, with the most op- mm-hmm. efficient and optimal way to reaching all these customers. So, I mean, it depends. I think there's a lot of things that we do as GIS that you know mm-hmm. we need funding for that. Obviously, I, I had a. Uh, previous guest Steve Stout, and he's a GIS expert, one mm-hmm. of the best that there is. And I and I posed this kind of interesting question. I said, well, "How would people react if there was no GIS?" Right. And you're telling me about trash. I ha- I have a feeling that that would be if we were to just turn it off right. tomorrow. Right. And trash started piling up in you know the wrong places. People would notice that right away. Right. And that's <laughs> what I'm saying. That might be the most, you know, most, most the, the, the biggest impact on citizens when that wouldn't be done. Of course, if GIS would be dead, the trash would still be picked up and would be done right. in a different way. It probably wouldn't be as, you know, in a less timely way. It would just, you know. You would just go street by street. Right, as street opposed by to... street instead of finding the optimal route for that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, along that same lines, what, what technology are you excited about in the GIS space? Like, uh, at the city level, are you are you constantly looking for new things to integrate to make things better? Yes, always. I mean, okay. that's part of my my personality as well, but the city as well. You know, we always mm-hmm. want to do things better, but we also have always have to look at new technology popping up. I'm very excited about GIS, just and and the digital twin concept where you can okay. build like this almost like carbon copy of the city, but then oh, can yeah. predict what would happen if this you would do this. If you would build this building here, what would happen to the environment? What would happen to a line of sight, what would mm-hmm. happen to your trash pickup, you know, there would right. be like 50 people. So how can you predict that? I, I think GIS, the future of GIS is is, is is becoming more in that predictability field. We want to predict the future. What's going to happen to the city if we do this? Mm-hmm. So AI can be important for that. And a digital twin where you build like a 3D model of the city. I think that's very exciting technology. And I see that as a big growth areas, one of the big growth areas for GIS. Yeah, that that would be interesting to have at any scale um, to have a complete digital right. replica. Right. 
And you see it in, in some countries that are really like a more advanced in the United States right now than in, mm -hmm. in, in Europe. You see it a lot, this digital twin. Like the Netherlands has all of the buildings in 3D, all of them, the whole country. Mm -hmm. And they use that as their basis for their digital twin. So I think that's that's exciting, yes. Yeah, that'd be that'd be interesting to be able to do those things like you're talking about, you know, add certain things to the right. to the city and see how it impacts them, see right. how it changes the model and and See who gets right. impacted by right. it. Right. I mean, I don't know. How, uh, do you remember the old game SimCity? Of course. So SimCity, you oh, know, yeah. built something and he saw all these little cars, you know, the uh -huh. traffic would affect traffic. What, what, how great would it be if you can do that in GIS and say, I want to build <laughs> like an apartment complex there, there and how is it going to affect the traffic in the area? Right. How would that affect the surroundings of that place? I, I kind of yeah. like to compare it to that. This whole idea of like, you know, the digital twin is your SimCity. Yeah, SimCity was awesome. I remember this game. Yeah, no, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, you would build the indu the industrial zone, and it had right. to be kind of close to the commercial zone. Right. But you didn't want the industrial close to the residential, right? Or else people would complain. And then you had to run the water and electricity and everything. Right. But how realistic mm -hmm. is that, though? You know, it's like when you think yeah. about it, those concepts are like completely valid. And then you had to make people happy by building parks and things like that in there, right. which would drive your right your, exactly your costs up. And then you know, right. Right. yeah, that's interesting. SimCity. <laughs> Maybe we just we just needed a SimCity GIS. I know, I know. It's like, uh, but yeah, no, I, I do think mm -hmm. that's one of the big areas. Which, I mean, you see it already. Mm -hmm. It's like there's a lot of attention in, in the GIS field for the digital twin, the smart yeah. cities, you know, the, the, the whole connected city where all your, your little uh, sensors and everything can, you know, when something is happening, the sensors mm -hmm. will pick it up. I think those are really important areas. You know, I think you'll see a lot more of that in the future. Oh, like uh, smart sensors that are... <laughs> Like okay. for instance, flooding, you know, it's like right. if you have like sensors along, along the river, you can say, right. hey, okay, we see the sensor is picking up uh, water, so we need to do something. Um, like right. this, it, this Something's is happening here. Something is happening in the city. So, yeah, I think that's important. I know in the, the oil and gas industry, they use, they use sensors to look at the pressure of the oil derricks. Oh, gosh, I'm not an oil person. <laughs> right. Don't quote me. But I know that they right. have sensors that are looking at that at all times. Right. And then they can route out where they need to do maintenance based right. on on those sensors that right. are, that are right. on the GIS. Yeah, but you look at traffic problems or anything, you know, you can use these sensors for a lot of things. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that's, and that's definitely an area in which we haven't been very advanced with yet. Mm -hmm. But I hope in the future that we'll be able to do more with that. Well, you mentioned touch points with citizenry. I mean, every... <laughs> Every citizen has a phone in their pocket, so essentially they're they're a sensor, right? <coughs> I think in the military you hear this a lot, right? Every yeah, soldier is a of sensor. Of course, you need to the idea of privacy, and citizens might yeah. not want to do that, but they might want to opt in for a program where they can use their phone as a sensor. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't know, but yeah, you run into issues with privacy, and you know. yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a double-edged sword there. Um, I'm interested in the ways that. The, the the many touch points that GIS has in a, in a city. Mm -hmm. I don't think people understand it outside of city government. Even even me, someone who I'd like to think I have a decent understanding of GIS. I'm not an expert. I never claim to be, but I have a decent <coughs> understanding. I'd be interested to know just how many different areas does it touch, and you know, are there any areas that are surprising that people probably wouldn't even think of? Um. Well, you know. 
you can look at the city as all the different divisions and departments, right? So we have mm-hmm. Parks and Rec, it uses GIS. We have Police Fire, it uses GIS. We have Planning, obviously, mm-hmm. uses GIS. We have Engineering, uses GIS. We have Public Services. We have Stormwater. I mean, mm-hmm. any part of the, every division and department in the city actually uses GIS. It okay. might not be... Um, the most uh, innovative way, but just for mm-hmm. your system of record, your system was like, we want to collect data because we know it's right. That's very important for the city. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we want to be that uh, source of data, source of information that any department can actually use and be confident that it's the correct data that's up to date. So I think that's something that people don't really realize. Mm-hmm. But, you know, think about stormwater. I mean, when we have a hurricane storming or we have a big, you know, big, 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 grain coming or something like that where areas flood your stormwater system needs to be up to that and mm-hmm. you know we use gis heavily for that you know your stormwater pipes your your drain areas i mean gis is heavily used for that and i don't think people realize that it's not something you see if you if you don't know it how would you know that GIS is being used for that what what particular what exactly is happening in the gis with the for stormwater. Well, you know, it's like, you know, you look at your high areas, you look at your flooding areas, you mm-hmm. look at uh, mitigation. It's like, if we know it's going to rain, this area usually flood. Can we use mitigative measures to make it not flood? Can mm-hmm. we drain it? So it's an elevation issue. It's like, but you also, you can build like uh, um, drainage ponds. You can use uh, stormwater pipes to, to get that water away from that area. And it's, it's highly complicated and the city spends a lot of time on that. Right. Um, and GIS is heavily used for that, just for, to model that out. It's like if we have like this area is flooded, I mean, with like suppose it's like five inches, six inches, how is that going to affect other areas? How is that draining off to to, mm. to, to the lower areas? Um, where's I, the water going? Where's the water going, really? Yeah, it's like where's it going? And, and do we want it to go there? Do we want to have it maybe go somewhere else? Because mm-hmm. last time when we had a hurricane, this area that we thought it was going to was completely, you know, we, we don't want it to go there. We want to go somewhere else. And the city spends a lot of time and money on making that work better for the citizens. One of the things that Dr. Procope talked about in episode two of his podcast, check it out if you get a chance, uh, was that there are certain areas where our flood models just fall apart. Right. right? Like the we have the 100-year flood playing down, but then we're seeing flooding in the 500-year Right. And things like that. Is that type of stuff modeled out? Yes. For yes, yes. Locally? We are okay. also looking into it all the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, it's it's really just like it's the city as Wilmington just lying in this low area on the coast. I mean, it's going to affect <laughs> us tremendously. So yes, it's something we always look at. Yes. How, how has how has working in this field changed over the years? I mean, you've been doing this for how long? Yeah, I, I hesitate to say, but it's. I was thinking about it yesterday. <laughs> I think I took my first class in 92. So, yes, it's been 30 years. It's 30 years. 30 okay. Years. See. Yes, obviously, it has changed a lot in technology, but the core principles, the basics, you know, mm-hmm. it's still the point line polygon and raster. I mean, the data models really haven't changed that much. Technology around it have changed a lot. But I think the biggest difference is, apart from the technology change, just the wide range of applications that GIS mm-hmm. is used for right. then, or nowadays, yes. Compared to then, I mean, it's just like it's it's everywhere. It's like there's not a field. I cannot <laughs> hardly think of a field in the world where people don't use GIS in some way. Right. How? What was it like in the nineties? Uh, like what were, I mean, what was know, the workflow like? Workflow, workflow. <laughs> it's like a lot of it because a lot of data wasn't digital. Like so, in the in the nineties when we started doing GIS, a lot had to do with data collection. 
that was uh, fantastic. It was fun. Yeah. It was like uh, you know, digitizing tablets with paper maps, and you had like the really yes. It was nothing, nothing, no on-screen digitizing. It was fantastic. Right. And uh, I mean, one of the one of the careers I had before this, I used to work for a company in the Netherlands with a lot of uh, consultancy in developing countries and mm -hmm. uh, training. And I remember just like in Bangkok, uh, we had to. Uh, map the slum areas because that's not part of you know the official documentation so the yeah. the high government wanted to know where where the slums were where people were growing and we had like a thai uh, army helicopter and we would hang out of the fly <laughs> over the slums and then just hang out with our big cameras and take like these oblique photos and then go back in the office and then geo-reference them so when was that um, that was about 95, 96, yeah. Yeah, okay. it, it was fun. It was kind of like the pioneer days. It, it felt like the pioneer days. It <laughs> was like, it was amazing just hanging out of, out of the helicopter and just trying to you know, get your photos like that. And then you would have the photos and then you would go back and put them on a tablet and try to kind of connect everything. And then you would create a map and then... How did you fall into that? Like what? You know, it was my... So I, I had my first jazz class in 92... And it was basically, I had I have a degree in geography, and, and in those days, jobs weren't that easily available. You mm -hmm. had going as a planner, and really, it wasn't a whole lot going on. And then I saw just an ad in a paper saying, hey, you want to be part of the first group of GIS uh, trained uh, staff? And I was like, whoa, I'd never heard of this, but it combined right. two things that I liked, computers and geography. So it was like right. a perfect oh, field. Yeah. And, um, so I took that six-month class, and after that, I've never had any problems finding a job, because there's always a <laughs> job for GIS people. It always has been, yeah. so it was great, so... Yeah, I worked for uh, local government for a while, and then I saw this job as being a trainer and consultant for this company. It's like it's now part of a university, and uh, we would have a master's degree uh, students and take them over uh, overseas to all developing countries, and we would be part of consultancy. Those were fun years. I did it for about nine years and traveled the world. Yeah, well, I mean, I can always. Uh, I saw Jack Dangerman once a couple of years in Wilmington and said, "Thank you, you've given me this career and it has it made me travel right. the work." And I want to thank you for that because it's true. I mean, I've been to China for GIS, the Philippines, Thailand, uh, Argentina. What, what were you Malabu. doing in China? <laughs> China, we had the environmental. It was like in Wuhan, actually. It was in, in Wuhan. Wuhan. Wait, also, hold on a second. I know, I know. Richard, We're not are responsible. You? Are you the origin no, of the coronavirus? No, 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 no. It was, it was, it was we were there in the winter time. It was, it was brutally cold too. But we were uh, connected to university, University of Wuhan, Technical University of Wuhan, mm -hmm. and uh, we did environmental stuff, environmental GIS, like emissions okay. and stuff like that. It was really interesting, really cool. But there was like also in that same period of time, ninety six, ninety seven. So pre. Kind of like in that in between between communism and what China has developed into, so it was right. still very rigid. And um, I was there two times. The first time, it was like bicycles every everywhere, right? It was mm -hmm. like traffic jams with bicycles. I came back like two three years later. It was all changed into cars. It was like <laughs> it was growing rapidly fast. But uh, that was quite an experience. I mean, nobody spoke English almost. So. Mm -hmm. And who ever heard of Wuhan before COVID? Nobody. Right? It's like it's a nobody. gigantic city, very big, large city, but nobody had heard of it. And I know one there. guy that's heard of it. <laughs> Anthony Fauci. I know. No, I'm, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm joking. Yeah, no. So okay, so you went to China. Where else have you been uh, on this so, GIS adventure? Uh, Philippines. We've been a couple of times. That was fun too. Okay. Um, uh, Thailand, uh, Malawi, Africa for a land record system, and, and that was funny too because. It was part of a, I think, a UN grant, and we we, mm -hmm. we, we got that contract, and um, they needed to digitize, you know, paper maps into digital maps, right. and uh, they had no equipment, so I had to bring, like, a big digitizing tablet with me on the plane. Uh-huh. 
and it was in, uh, in on, on my back. So I came out of the plane, and you know, like in those days, I don't know. They 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 saw me, they stopped me, and they took it away from me, and I couldn't get it back <laughs> until a couple of days later. After I paid a heavy fine, I'm not sure if it was like legal or not. Maybe it was bribery or whatever, but uh, I couldn't take it into the country. But um, yeah, those were the days. I mean, it was like a small little uh, office in in Malawi, and just. Uh, people how to digitize parcel maps it was, uh, okay and that's what i'm saying is like those days in gis was a lot had to do with with for cities and governments to to have the data in gis right nothing really was in gis it's hard to imagine now but uh it was really uh, the starting point for for many organizations so it sounds are, are all these countries are they using esri stuff is that kind of yeah i think nowadays they do um Interesting that you mentioned that because when I started doing GIS, there was a lot more competition when it comes to GIS software. And oh, really? slowly, okay. I mean, we used Atlas GIS. We used we had an own GIS in the Netherlands called Ilwis, and they were mm -hmm. kind of like grass. Now I like can open source software, and right. uh, as we slowly has like either bought up or kind of replaced this kind of mm -hmm. uh, software. It's kind of kind of called this monolith right now, where you still have QGIS and Ilwe, uh, and Grass, and so you have mm -hmm. still these options. But it seems that Esri is very prevalent everywhere. Just look at where Esri has their main offices. It's like all over the world. Yeah, they've grown tremendously. They're, Esri is just a crazy company. It, it is, and, and they're private, which is the right. <laughs> the part. Right. I was thinking about man, if they did an IPO at some point, they would. Go through the roof, you know? It would, yeah, no. Uh, there's always been rumors that Google was interested at some point, but I'm pretty sure Esri doesn't want to sell, and Jack doesn't want to sell. I yeah. Mean, I'm sure he doesn't. And interesting, too, is like I think eh, all employees at Esri are paid hourly. Huh. So it's like uh, they have to... Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know, but it is what it is. It's just like mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if it's good or bad either, but uh, I find it interesting because it feels like that company has grown tremendously but kept the same core principles for right. good or for bad. Right, uh, and also I have mixed feelings about. I really wish there was a little more competition, because yeah. when you're in government, you really you can only deal with Esri, so they can set the prices and anything. There's nothing you can say. Hey, Esri, we found this other uh, software that we might. Right, there's use. no competition. There's no competition. So, uh, I mean, and generally, I'm very happy with Esri, but mm -hmm. I wish there was more right. competition. Yeah, I think Google Earth has come a long way. Right. If you look at their Earth Engine platform. Right. I but, could yeah. totally see Google Earth co competing in certain areas. Certain areas. The thing with the thing that makes ArcGIS so good is its flexibility because right. you can just use it in so many different areas and you can manipulate it through right. code. I mean, that's that's what really makes it powerful. Right. And I think um, you know, a company like Google, they could totally come in and start taking slices. I think on the on the scientific side right. of the house, I don't think ArcGIS is really a player at all. Right. Um so I could see that seeping in, but who knows? I don't like no, to predict no, the future. No, I mean, you're, you're <laughs> right. I mean, and of course, you know, jazz and local government has much more to do with databases than mm -hmm. with, 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 you know, imagery. Um, right. But I remember like maybe 10 years ago, there was only one city in North Carolina wasn't using Esri software, and that was Cary, I think. Mm -hmm. and so, and they switched at some point. I think all local governments in, in they North all Carolina, use it. they all use it, and they feel they have no other choice, and they probably don't really, honestly. <laughs> No other choice. I wouldn't know what, honestly, especially the database-driven side of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, UGIS is nice, and I like UGIS, but you know, the, cities want to have support. When they have an issue, they want somebody to call, and I don't think that QGIS is like there's not a yeah. 
there's not a, a number you can call, hey, uh, QGIS, I have a problem with this, and just a whole enterprise where it has like these large databases. Not to mention the, yet. the amount of money that Esri puts into the R&D of their oh, platform. Yeah. I mean, like, what is it, 40% or something like that? It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot, yeah. It seems like they're popping out a new product every, yes, every month. Yes, which is hard. To, for me, it's hard to keep up with. I mean, yeah. I love how they switched, like, I don't know when that switch was, like, maybe seven, seven eight years ago when mm -hmm. they went from just desktop to actually doing online stuff and started coming up with these targeted apps. Mm -hmm. I think it's been great, and uh, but it's hard to keep up with it. Like, uh, have you seen this app? Uh, well, I didn't go to the latest Esri conference, so no, I might have seen an email, but I don't right. know. It's like it changes a lot, yeah. It's hard to keep up with. All right, along that same lines, are there any gaps, any massive areas where you think that there needs to be some technology insertion, some R&D? No, I think Esri actually is doing a, a, a pretty good job. But, you know, it's like one of the... If you ask us, if you go... If I go and stand uh, in council and ask what they want from GIS, you know what the number one answer is? What? Story maps. They love story maps. Huh. Because, you know, as think about it. You know, it's like they want the city to explain or, like, lay, lay right. something out. It's like we're doing this project. We're doing this project. And story maps are pretty powerful, powerful in the way that they can combine just a map with photos and text. And they're easy to make. They're really easy to make. They're easy every, to make. Everybody loves them. I mean, everybody loves, loves, loves them. And they're easy to understand. Yes, yes. <laughs> but now GIS people have a love-hate relationship with sure. that. So, yeah. so when, um, I like them, but I, was, I know a lot of other people in the GIS world that are no fans of them. But I think they're a good way of communicating. So. I've always found that as a geospatial analyst in the, in the military, I was in the Army, people just like anything that has got pretty colors on it. Right, you know? right. If, if you, <laughs> I remember um, there was this one officer, I won't say who he is, but he, he he came in. We were looking at some satellite imagery, and he he swore up and down that we were moving the satellite as right. we were panning around. Right. And I'm like, okay, all right, right, sure. You know, I didn't correct him or anything, but right. Um, well, to be in this field, you you probably love maps, right? I think it's one of the starting points. It wasn't one of my starting points when I was growing yeah. up. I love maps. I love maps of places I would never go to, but just mm -hmm. having a map, I thought right. was amazing. And that cartography part of it, the making it look good part of it, is still very important. But Sometimes, you know, and I see that sometimes in our organization as well, it's like making a map in itself is not enough. People need to do something with that information, right? right? It's like making the map is not enough. We want to be actually be part of the solution, a part of the delivery. And that, I think, is a challenge for GIS people sometimes. Right. It's going to be more than, right. than just that. Um, what, what's like the marquee project that you've been a part of that you're the most proud of? Uh, well, I, th I think the most proud of is like we had a massive enterprise asset management project, which is mm -hmm. basically all the assets that a city has. It might, might, might be a park bench, might be a stormwater pipe, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in, inside an asset management system. And we did this project completely during COVID. Oh. We had one meeting in the beginning of the project uh, where everybody was in one room and then the rest of the project we did completely remote everyone and like all the different departments because it affected many different departments and GIS had a large part of it because everything was mapped or needed to be mapped. Mm -hmm. So I think as a marquee project, I think I'm most proud of that because it's working and a lot of people in the city organization are working with that system. And so it that went pretty fluidly. I mean, I don't think we had any major hiccups or anything. So you have a map of all the park benches in the city? Yeah, yes, yes, we do. <laughs> we do. 
We do, but it's important for maintenance, right? So right. if you want somebody out, it's like, well, we want to maintain every year. We're going to go visit them or something like that. You know, but you know where they are, um, mm-hmm. and and then you can have like your whole maintenance uh, documentation on that feature in the park. So you know, it's like last time it was inspected was in nine, uh, 2000, whatever 2020, right. and then we need to go back again, or it's like a repair needs to be done, or a citizen can call in. It's like, hey, I saw this park bench. That needs to be it's right. broken. So then we know, okay, we need to fix that park bench. I mean, gas is important. It's, it sounds silly maybe. It sounds small, but it really helps out the city a lot, just having a map of where all the assets are. Yeah, especially here in Wilmington. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this, this uh, recent study from United Van Lines. They studied more than 100,000 shipments that took place throughout 2022. Wilmington topped the list with the highest percentage of people moving into the city than out of it. Roughly 81% of moves were inbound, while 19% were outbound. In other words, there's a lot of people moving to Wilmington. Right, and there's right. a, when you have that giant influx of people, right. they need this stuff. What right. do you think about all these people moving here, how that could impact your well, role? Well, you know, obviously uh, having this large influx of people will have a huge effect on, on the city. I really see it. I mean, I was just driving here on College uh, college Road <laughs> and it took me forever to get on because traffic has increased even in a couple of years that I've been living here. So, yes, mm-hmm. I mean, NGIs can play like an important role. It's like not just getting all these new citizens like mm-hmm. – delivery of their services in the correct way, but also just like, well, how is this going to affect other areas of the city? You know, it's like, how right. does this, this work? How are we going to manage this? Of people right. moving here, uh, they definitely need to have a good GIS system working. Right. So we can route traffic in the right directions and right. Right. point out where all those potholes are at. <laughs> Why does it take so long to fix potholes? <laughs> What's up with that? Do you have any personal experience with that? Well, I know there's like a ton of potholes in the city, especially after some heavy rain. Uh, I know the departments work as fast as they can fixing mm-hmm. all of them, and there's a lot of them. And sometimes they're not always – people need to be – departments need to be made aware of them as well. You know, it's like we don't know everything that's going on in the city. So yeah. People need to call and, hey, uh, this pothole has been out here. Uh, it's been out here for And this a week. takes me back to where we were talking about earlier, which is – if people knew right. that they could go in somewhere, hit a button, right. and report a pothole, right. I think they would. And we do have a pothole reporter on the website. I, I know you have it on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think the average person understands that they can do that, right. is what I'm saying. Right. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe think of ways the city can advertise it more. Or yeah, and, and we're in there. the middle of looking at a 311 uh, project, which is basically a reporting tool for citizens okay. to, uh, to enter in a service request, which could be a pothole. It could be, you know. Why's everything got to be 1-1? Yeah, 8-1-1, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, don't, don't ask me that. Uh, it's like, uh, I, I, I'm confused <laughs> by that too. It's like There's uh, a lot uh, of numbers on that one. one it's like, yeah. yeah, I know. It's it's a good point. Yeah, I don't know whether it's one. There's probably a historic reason for that, but I as a foreigner don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't isn't the emergency number uh, yeah. different in different countries, yeah, right? Like what's, what's the... So don't yeah. ask me that. It's been a long time. <laughs> one, one something, I think. Yeah. I guess one is the easiest one to find on your phone or yeah. like the rotary phone, you know, probably it started with rotary Oh, that makes sense. Like, I yeah, don't know. Okay. I really am just, maybe, I don't know. You're spitballing? Yes, well, I mean, absolutely. I think that's a pretty but good But yes, it did start at the time of the rotary phones, right? So it's yes. probably a pretty good guess. <laughs> so what could we do at the city level better to better provide those services for people? Well, I think... It kind of came back what I said in the beginning of those three different areas, which I think GIS is important for 
for the city, I think that system of engagement, we have ways to go as a city is like, how do you interact with your citizens? We have a couple of front facing maps and we have like the pothole reporter, mm-hmm. but A, people aren't super aware of those things that are available. And B, they're not necessarily always very user friendly. And I think we need to do a better job of making GIS more accessible uh, to the citizens, uh, whether it be in the form of a, of a geo hub or something like that. But I still think as a city, we can do better with that. And uh, it's one of my goals, my personal goals and my professional goals to, mm-hmm. to make that happen. Because I think um, just making the awareness of GIS uh, better is uh, is important. And I think having that, you know, as a, as a good looking public facing front page right. on the city website is something that's important for the citizens, I think. And I think we have ways to go with that. Okay. What, uh, what about people? Uh, do you have, what types of people are you hiring to do this type of work? And then where are you finding them? Oh, I, that's a good, a very relevant question because I yeah. just posted a job vacancy this morning. So uh, <laughs> we're looking for a GIS analyst. So if you're interested and you're listening to this podcast, we have a there GIS analyst position available. Uh, please go to the City of Wilmington website and uh, go to the job section and it will be posted there. Um, well, you know, I was like, uh, what we see a lot nowadays, we we target younger staff members. I mean, um, we, we are very lucky to have... Uh, Great organizations like UNCW here, Cape Fear mm-hmm. Community College is starting a jazz program. So we want oh, really? to attract okay. uh, local local talent as much as we can. We have an internship program available with through UNCW, so we have a lot of interns. But um, whenever we have a vacancy available, we like to target these organizations because I think they do a great mm-hmm. job to, at training their, uh, their students. So that's something that we look for. And I look for, you know... I look for excitement a little bit for this position. It's like something that can bring some new ideas to the table. Because mm-hmm. as I already told, I'm, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I'm, I'm old and crusty now. So some new <laughs> ideas might be a good idea. But uh, but no, we are very blessed in this in this area with, with tons of GIS talent. Yeah, I'd like to think that this area, Southeast North Carolina, we're a little geospatial hub. I, yes. We got a little, we got something going on. There's a little fireball down here. I agree. Yes. And I think Cape Fear just started with that program. Like I saw it announced right. like a couple of weeks ago and that's going to be great too. Oh, that's awesome. So yes, no, I think I, I agree with you. We have a little, little thing going on here mm-hmm. when it comes to GIS. So what in your, what in your opinion makes a good GIS professional? Um, different things, you know, of course it, it has the word analyst in, in, in the, in the title, so you need to be analyzed geospatial data, but also you need to explain the geospatial data. You need to be aware of um, how the data was collected, the accuracy. There's lots of things around the data that you need to be able to understand and explain to people that want to use your product. Um, so that analysis part is super important. But then, of course, you know you need to visualize it well in the right way mm-hmm. as well. So you need to have that those cartography skills. I mean, as right. GIS staff, as GIS trained. Um, person, you need to know so many different things. It's like, yes, is a big field. And I don't think people realize right. that, how large the field is, because you have people that completely focus on the imagery, right? right? I mean, that's a field in itself. This, mm-hmm. You can super specialize in that. And for a, somebody who works at the city, imagery is not that important. I mean, not mm-hmm. important enough. But you need to have these database skills. You need to know SQL. You need to, how to know how to write queries. You need to know some... Python programming. So there's lots of different areas that you need to have some knowledge of. And yes, people usually are kind of generalist in their approach to things, mm-hmm. which you have to be. That's just like, I don't know GIS. I don't you know. I've been doing this for 30 years. Am I an expert on imagery? No, I'm not. 
I'm absolutely not because right. I have not been exposed with that much. Am I a specialist in in databases? No, but I know enough. Mm-hmm. But you need to know so many different skills. It's like it's it's amazing how much you really need to know to be a good GIS analyst or specialist mm-hmm. or, or or whatever. I mean, it it, it takes a lot. It's not easy. So you have to be a jack of all trades. You do. Yes. I mean, especially uh, maybe with the exception of people that are very focused on just one thing. But I don't know people that do that. People, GIS people, always knew do more than one thing. They always kind of like the jack of trades. They have their little, you know, mm-hmm. tentacles into everything a little bit because they have to know so many different things. It's it's amazing how complicated this can be. Yeah, kind of along that same lines of what you're talking about is when I was in the military, um, this new phrase started called geospatial intelligence. Right. And since then, they've just been lumping more things under this geospatial intelligence right, umbrella. It went right. from basically just satellite imagery right. to now it's drone imagery right. and then it's mapping as well. Right. And now it's engineering for, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's amazing. A lot of things they call geoint now that right. used right. to just we'll be. But you know, we have staff in the city that are specializing in, in addressing. I mean, mm-hmm. addressing in itself is giving a location and address, the correct address, there's an R to it. There's, it's not that easy mm-hmm. always. You have complicated situations. So it's like you go from addressing to like analyzing large imagery data sets. Those are completely different things in mm-hmm. a way, but they're not. They're all part of this whole GIS umbrella. I'm, I'm interested in the interplay between where the city is, where the county is, where the state is, where the federal government is. How, like what's What are those touch points what are those interactions like between these different entities yeah it's it, that's a good question so uh, we have great relationships with uh, new hanover county we do a lot of things together mm-hmm. so for instance like i just said addressing uh county does a lot of the addressing for the county and the city does their own addressing but of course these things need to talk to each other right it mm-hmm. needs to be one system so we have one database that we have access to and the county has access to where all these updates get in. So they immediately, both of us have access. Who owns the database, technically? Right. Uh, I don't even know who owns the database, <laughs> technically. It doesn't just, matter. No, it doesn't really matter. It's shared, and that's being used for the 911 system, of course, because that's where all these addresses mm-hmm. go into. And that's a great example of, of operation between the two organizations. Um, uh, parcels, we depend heavily on the parcel database. We don't maintain, the city doesn't maintain parcel database that mm-hmm. comes from the county, So we have, but we have immediate access to it. If they update something, we immediately have it. Right. So we maintain streets database for the city in the city. The county has immediate access to that. So it's kind of like how these mm-hmm. organizations just have direct access to the GIS data, which is really helpful. Um, with the state... Uh, we deliver data to the state. They have a, they have a hub. We deliver, deliver data to them, like addressing and stuff goes mm-hmm. through there. But the state is great. For instance, we have the, the 901 state auto imagery project. So we get like every three, four years, we get mm-hmm. a complete data set from the state. So that's that's awesome. And just when you have need some assistance with something, you easily reach out to the state. I mean, I think one thing I love about GIS people and... Next week is going to be the conference in Salem. Everybody helps each other out. Everybody right. like is so interested in assisting. If I have a problem with a database and we don't know it ourselves, I can reach out to the county because they have somebody that might have an answer. I mean, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. So um, it, it sounds like there's a lot of interplay between the city, the yes, county, is, yeah. the state. Yeah. They're all in separate systems, though. I mean, is that safe to say? Everyone, like yeah, the state's using system. their own system? Yeah, the it's all ESRI-based, but they are different yeah. systems, yeah, yeah. 
Man, Esri's really. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, you got to like, stranglehold on this thing. Yeah, we got an enterprise license agreement, so uh, we pay mm-hmm. a good amount of money every year to them, and uh, it gives us access to all the software, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, it's uh, it's not cheap, no. Not cheap. <laughs> but then again, I do think it provides a lot of value to the city, and I don't think we've done an official return on investment study, but I'm mm-hmm. sure if we would run that, I mean, you can see how much money the city saves by using GIS. Okay. Are there are there any ongoing initiatives that people should be aware of regarding what's happening with the city? Um, so public facing, um, I think the important project we're working on right now is the capital investment project. Um, okay. th- those are the larger projects that the city does, like more than hundred thousand dollars, I think, and they they um, um, usually a couple of years could be a street rehab, could be stormwater, could be mm-hmm. a building. I mean, those are the big project, a bike path and stuff like that. Um, we're working on this project right now uh, where we're going to have a public-facing dashboard of all the projects that is active okay. uh, project in the city. There's going to be a GIS dashboard so you can see the location, get the information out, get the information about who the project manager is, how much it costs, and stuff like that. Just part of this whole transparency is like we, we're doing this, we have the money to do this, but I want to see citizens how this mm-hmm. money is being spent and, and where all these projects take place. Those dashboards are taken off, aren't they? The Everybody wants the dashboard. They do. It's kind of like story maps, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, again, I think they convey information information in, a, in an easy to understand way and they're not that hard to build. So I think right. it's one of these SV products which are great and fantastic and I'm glad they 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 done that. Yeah. Yeah, those are um, super cool. Uh, what, I, what I do like about them in the Esri suite basically just have a button <laughs> you hit a button and it creates the dashboard right. you just it's so easy in right. there right. And, and they look good people they look like, good. Yeah. like having access very to the good data. and they're easy to build and uh, very customizable and uh you know it's like you can covid really put dashboards on the on the scene yeah, that, that, that covid dashboard yes that was, was everywhere i know the johns I know, hopkins i know COVID dashboard. And I remember looking at the dashboard, I think it was in January, whatever the year was that COVID started. It was like maybe a couple thousand uh, incidents, all kind of clustered still in China. Right, right, right. like, man, six months later, the whole planet <laughs> was red. <laughs> like, but yeah, oh. that was really like a, a breakthrough moment for the dashboards, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what makes that's what makes it fun is there's these new things that pop up and right. kind of unexpected, right? right. Like, why, who cares about that? Right. But they're they're a hot item, you know? Right. People always want those. And Anybody, just like with story maps, some people see them done the right way. The same with dashboards. Everybody loves them. Everybody right. loves, loves, loves them. And for JS people, they're great because they're not that hard to make. Yeah. So it makes us look good. What do you, what do you think about, I think this year, mm-hmm. particularly 2023, in my opinion, this is the year where we really sink our teeth into artificial intelligence. Yes. Th- this is my opinion. Right. I think chat GPT was the first one. Right. It's it's not artificial intelligence. And I know the smart computer science people will hate me for saying that. Yeah, it is. It's like, yeah. But it's the first yeah. it's the first time we've been able to access a large scale language model right. and see kind of what the capabilities are. And now right. Google has Google Bard. Right. Microsoft obviously is integrating right. Chat GPT into Bing. So right. people might actually use Bing. Who knows? Right. I'm still not using Bing. I'm sorry, Microsoft. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take it's going to take a, no, a whale of oh, no. yeah, time no. to get me over to use Bing. But um, what are, are 
are there any areas that are exciting to you about these technologies? It doesn't have to be just GIS. Either. No, I am excited about them. Uh, my first experience with chat GPT was like a couple of months. I was like, you know, I like to read in my, you know, I like to read in mm-hmm. my, my free time. So I was like, what do you I read? I have anything. I read history, detectives. I just. Detectives? I just, yeah, okay. I, I read. I, I just finished Moby Dick. So I read anything, Moby honestly. D- <laughs> <laughs> I like to challenge myself sometimes too. But, you know, I was like. When you go into chat GPD, you can say, write me a paragraph in the style of, and you could name an author. Right. And I do like these amazing things. It's yeah. like, I mean, you could say it, you could see it wasn't perfect, but, it, right. but you could tell that it did use that style of that author. And it was like, that was like this, this aha moment for me. It's like, wow, this, this, this thing is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, in GIS, we used a little bit for our Python scripts. It's like yeah. amazing how it can do that. It's like, I just want to, can you write me a Python Are script? Are you using it right now? Yeah, yeah. So like review scripts yep. and things yep. like that? Yep, yep, yep. It's very That's useful awesome. for that. Yes. So uh, wow. I was really pleasantly surprised by that. Just asking is like, okay, I want to have a Python script. Just copy data from here to there and then mm-hmm. append it here, blah, blah, blah. This whole script and it would write it. You would have to change the parameters a little bit. But I mean, the the, the, the core of it was right there. The names wouldn't be in there. But I, I'm sure if you feed it into jet that gpt in the beginning right. it, it would work that way it's just amazing it's only a matter of time before they start integrating that with gis with their yeah. products yeah, i mean would, yeah yeah i would think very fast so back to the type of people we're looking for i think i think it's going to be the people that i in my opinion the people that are going to be successful in the future are the people that really understand how to harness ai and i don't uh, mean uh, i don't mean they even have to be experts but the ones that just they look for ways to creatively add those prompts. Like you're talking about, you know, write it in the style, but the people that really understand that, right. that creative aspect right. to it, yeah. and this is where it gets, this is where I think it gets funny is I think that creativity is going to be more valued than hardcore skills. Right. 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 So hardcore skills will be taken over by the, the, the AI the, itself. The computer will do yeah, the skills yes. and then the creative aspect, right. you know, who can put, two yeah. things together that's going to be the valuable skill you're probably right. i would i would combine it with curiosity creativity and sure. curiosity like you want to be looking into that creativity is fantastic i mean i totally agree with you on that i mm-hmm. think the future is for the creative people and then combine it with curiosity man that's just gonna yeah. be like creativity and curiosity well that's kind of what I, you know it's like that's i think that's one of these things that GIS people usually have is their creativity and curiosity. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, I've interviewed many people and they always seem to have that, those two <laughs> things. So, yeah. So they're probably well prepared for the future then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Although uh, it will take some of our GIS work from our shoulders too. I don't think, sure. you know, data creation, you see it already a little bit in imagery is like with these uh, models yeah. running and just automatic detection. It's like it doesn't need human intervention anymore. So yeah, there's will, a lot of change our, uh, there's a lot of computer vision models out there now that right, will right. detect um, right. for us on the military side, right. whenever we're supporting the military, we're right. looking for things that detect right. certain types of order of battle, what we call order of battle, right. so you right. know, Russian equipment, right. Chinese equipment, things like that. Right. And uh, they're pretty darn good at, right. at isolating those things and right. saying what they are. Yeah, because I remember one of the things that always amazed me, and that was even the beginning of my career, that's got much better, is like these crop prediction models, where mm-hmm. they can see is like, okay, in January, this is how the crop looks in uh, name an African country, and you can see is like there's a drought, <laughs> and you can just predict based on that what the end, what the crop will be later in the year. And I think huh. that has gotten a lot better with AI as well, where they run these these programs on top of it and uh, predict it. Like, well, this is what we have right now, and I guess for agriculture anywhere, it would mm-hmm. be the same. It's like, 
oh, this is January, February, we have this imagery, we can see how the crop has been doing. So based on that, we can we can predict what the yield is going to be later in the year. Oh, so yeah. then if the if you see problems like in Africa, I was like you can predict you know fa famine in a way. I was like you need you can have your interventions earlier because you know right. what it's going to be. I think those right. are exciting areas. Yes. Are you familiar with um, any of the new kind of apps and companies that are popping up surrounding commercial satellite imagery? Yes, yeah, a little bit. It's 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 a jungle out there, isn't it? It's getting crazy. So how do you how do you pick the right one? How do you pr get the right product? It's like uh, it's I heard it's very confusing. It's it's very confusing, and there's a big lack of. I mean, if you look at the big satellite imagery providers like Planet mm -hmm. and Maxar, mm -hmm. it, if you just go and try to buy imagery, it's right. It's a pain in the butt. Like the average person's not going to go through this process. Right. Um. So I think at the uh, as it becomes more democratized, it's a good thing. Right. You know, it'll become more accessible. And people can go in and buy their imagery and, and do their analysis. Um, but I just, it's like there's a new company that pops up every day. So it's kind of, right. it's kind of exciting for, right. for me. You know, right. I love working with new right, solutions right, right. And, and things now, like that. Now, do they sell different products then or do they sell the same project, but it's just a reseller? Well, everyone's, everyone's product is better than everyone else's. Right, product. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, but, you know, things like synthetic aperture radar, um, you're saying new companies pop up around that. And what what I think is interesting about SAR is from a geospatial intelligence perspective, SAR's always just been this, this gap filler for us. It's not the main thing that you mm -hmm. go to, but right. if you have cloud cover, right. you need you need right. to use SAR right. because that's gonna help you determine what's down there. And now we're seeing a lot more of these use cases pop up for SAR. And it's kind of it's kind of cool to see right. that. Right. You know, it's this kind of old school technology implemented right. in a new way. Yes. So it's it's been fun to see that. Yeah. So do you think that that kind of like jungle thing that you have right now will disappear? Like the, the survival to fittest, you know, the, the <laughs> best one will remain uh, kind of company? Well, I think just like any market, some of the companies are going to start start gobbling up the other companies. Right, 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 right. right? Yeah. And then eventually you'll have one ubiquitous right. uh, commercial satellite, <laughs> commercial imagery provider. Um, well, I hope so because, you know, made, made the best, Right. company win really right. right because there's so many companies right now um it'd be nice to have an easy button right, right. to just say i want yeah. imagery and i don't care where it comes from no in I terms of, of costs of this, this. there's a right. huge range in the in, in cost then as well they all have different cost models yeah. some of them have different terms of service some of them want you to you know only get it through their api some of right. them you know want you to purchase x right. amount of right. square miles per month right or sorry, square kilometers. They use miles. They use kilometers. Right. Everything is in meters. Well, thank good. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're from Europe, it's okay. That's so confusing, especially when you cook these cups and stuff. It's like, oh, come up with that or like tablespoons. What kind of measurement is that? <laughs> I agree. I agree. I don't know what went wrong when we were <laughs> determining our measurement system. I don't know what a foot is. I right. don't know. But that's that's good. You know, isn't that crazy how these things, these legacy things like that, they just stick around and we right. never seem to change them. Right. Yeah. But do you know that what is changing is daylight savings? Yes. It's going away. Yes. At the end of this year. Right. Thank goodness. No more daylight savings. Right. Yeah. Thank goodness. It's like it's an, it's an old, you know, this whole idea is like, it's like it's not valid anymore. It's right. like I don't understand it anymore. No. And it's, it's a hassle for everybody. <laughs> it's like nobody <laughs> likes it. <laughs> what, what I was getting at was 
it's incredibly difficult to change obvious things right. at scale. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, even with all of our technology and all this cool stuff that we have, school still gets out at 2.30. Right. Elementary school. Yeah. Why? Right. Yeah. Nobody, no professional gets out at 2.30. Right. Unless you're a teacher. And right. even then you're probably staying until 3.30 right. to, get your, yeah. to get your stuff done. Like, why can't we change these right. things? Yeah, that's a very good you know? point. Yeah, yeah. Some of these things are so ingrained in us. It's like, uh, but why? I mean, does everybody ever ask the question, why are we still doing it that way? You know, it's like, well, go people... back to your metric, you know, it's like, why <laughs> are we doing that? Like, why not have like a standard that anybody can use? I mean, right. it wouldn't make life easier for everybody, but, and but I guess you... there's, there's other people that would say, you know, this is what we are used to. This is part of our culture. This is our history. Yeah. We don't want to change that. Um, if you look at the rise of electric vehicles, right? This right. is this is happening. Are right. they all going to use the same plug? This is my question. Ah, yeah, well, you, yeah. You know, you know the answer to that. <laughs> they're all going to have proprietary plugs. They're going like, to have a proprietary plug. You have right. to buy their system. Right. So there's going to be an Apple Thunderbolt car. Right. Exactly. I mean, you, you have just, to plug it in. Yes. Exactly. You know, it's like you know, all the smartphones have different plugs in, and then it changes every two years too to the other proprietary plug that you have yeah. to buy. Then and it's, it's totally compatible with any. But yes, I mean, unless I, I don't know. It's like I guess there would be a role for government in that, but then of course you're going to be intervening as government in the free market. Do you want right. to do that? So, but yes, you're right. I mean, everybody will have their own plug in. Look, I'm a I'm a free market capitalist. Right. But somebody's got to do something about but Apple. But you need to have some standards around that, right? <laughs> I mean, you have some kind of like, okay, come up with this that anybody can use this. Because, I mean, it's crazy that mm -hmm. we have all these different like cables and power yeah. cords and, you know, nothing works so with I'm anything a, else. I'm <laughs> an Apple guy, right. right? I have the Apple Watch, right. Apple phone, right. Mac, and iMac. Right. And they all use different plugs. Right. Yes. right? The, the watch has this circle magnet I, the I'm, phone yep. okay the phone has the thunderbolt plug right, right. um the computer uses usb C. oh no actually this the right. laptop uses like this magnet thing i don't even know what it is right oh yeah that and, one yeah have that and then yep. the imac uses another plug yes I know, Come it's on. crazy, isn't it? Stop the I mean, madness. You travel. It's like when I travel, it's like I have like five different cables in my back. You know, it's like yeah. one for the phone. I have an iPad, has a different plug. Yeah. Right, you always, uh, then uh, the iPhone itself is a different one. So it's like, you know, it's crazy. Um, Although I do think that the phone is going to use BC now, I think. They're kind of forced to do that, I think. Yeah, oh, because of Europe. Europe. Right? Yes. Europe yeah. is basically yeah. saying like, enough of this. Right. And thank goodness. Right. So you are <laughs> in favor of a little bit of government regulation there. I, I, I am. I mean, it's just it's just gone out of control with these right. things. Yes. Right. And then if you ever want to buy another item, right. God forbid you don't buy the same brand name, you know? Right. Because they're just going to use something else different. Right, 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 right. And um, I always think it's funny, though. I think Apple's hilarious because <clears throat> what they'll do is they'll just provide you less of something and say it's for the environment right? oh yeah yeah with their power cord with the phones yeah the charger is not included anymore yeah yeah it's for the environment because you already have a couple of them laying around at the house <laughs> yes it's for the environment here it's green we're green here at apple it's called cutting costs and driving our margins yeah. that's what it's called did the price go down uh no <laughs> no actually it's gone up this year right. but it's for the we're environment getting... <laughs> it's for the environment you will do it um anyways they need oh man I, we have this iMac, and the iMac has, it comes with the mouse, mm -hmm. the Air Mouse, has one of the dumbest designs I've ever seen. It's got a plug that goes underneath the mouse, so you yeah, cannot yeah, like, charge the mouse 
at the same time that you're using the computer. That's crazy. And it goes back to GIS, which all runs on Windows. Well, there you go. Yeah. No. <laughs> I wish there was an Apple component. I mean, I like Apple too. Mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to update and it kind of works, you know. It's like it's easy to use, but yeah. ArcMap has never been available for Apple and it won't be ever. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. They yeah, say what? the market is too small, which I guess. That's uh, insane because everybody uses, I mean, there's a lot of, every, if you yeah, go on a college campus, right. everyone's got a MacBook. I know, but you then know? you go in the, in, in the labs at college, it is all Windows machines. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's something else. Um, what, what are your thoughts on uh, kind of integrating these new technologies with the GIS? Like the, we talked about ChatGPT mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, we talked about those computer vision models. Right at the at the city level, what are what are some things that we could really do if you had the firepower, if you had the horsepower of a, a good AI system? What would be like, bam, the number well, one thing? You know, it's like what I would like to see AI do for GIS at the city level is going more in that prediction of what's okay. going to happen, like not looking at the situation that the city is in right now, but can we mm -hmm. use AI to say, hey, uh, one year from now, this is how it's going to look like. This is what the city will be if we mm -hmm. run this, this this model or use this AI. We can predict the future a little bit better because you know, always just kind of responsive in the responsive mode. You have an issue, respond to the issue. What if we can see issues coming up before they actually right. happen? Right. I mean, that whole prediction model, is what was the name of that movie, the... The Minority the, Report? Minority Report, but then you're not like more at city <laughs> problems, right? It's like, yeah. what can we do? What Can we see something happening in the future already? That would be, I mean, maybe pie in the sky right now, but I think with these new technologies, I think that would be an exciting area to be able to go into with GIS as well. You know, it's like, what is going to happen? Because mm -hmm. uh, we've got challenges coming up. I mean, we have a, a, a growing city. We have challenges there. We have... Um, we what type of have, what type have, of things could you predict though? Be, one one of the things that has been pointed out before is like pulling sentiment analysis from tweets and right. But that's know, interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting field. Yeah. Well, yeah. you can. I mean, it would be at the city level more like traffic patterns and stuff like traffic. that. You know, flooding areas. Yeah, so Google Maps is pretty dang good now at, right. at telling what the traffic's looking like. Right. I mean, it's pretty good. It is. That means that, that means that they're tracking everybody's phone. Right. right. <laughs> if you have Google on your phone, they're tracking you right. for the traffic data. But you know the issue of flooding. I mean, it's going to mm -hmm. get more and more important in this area. Also, with you know sea level mm -hmm. uh, rises and changes and everything in the climate. I mean, how is that going to affect the city? Can we measure that? Can we kind of predict what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. It would be great if we could do that, right? So we can actually be proactive instead of waiting for something to happen. If we can get to that place, mm -hmm. man, that would be fantastic. Something kind of along that lines, Dr. Procope had this interesting um, idea of setting up drone uh, locations where they're stored in a pod, mm -hmm. right? And you see DJI has some of this. Some right. of, I think like Skydio has drones that do this now. And then um, immediately after some type of extreme weather event, right. they take off, they right. go collect data, right. and they shoot it back to the back right. to the source for analysis. Yes, I think that'd be really cool. That's, you see, that's one of the, yes, exactly. That's 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 very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Are you, is is the city using drones at all for anything? Uh, not at a very high level. Our police and fire has some uh, mm -hmm. that they use when there's an incident, so you can fly it around the incident. As GIS, mm -hmm. we don't really have been using them a whole lot. We've been talking about it, and one of our staff is trying to get certified now in, in okay. usage. But uh, 
No, not 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 a lot. I mean, I would be interested in like we get you know this aerial imagery every couple of years from uh, aid, but you know the city is growing so fast. I mean, they're right. usually outdated fairly quick, and using drones just to keep better up to date imagery would be fantastic if we can do that. You know, just look at liver, river lights. You know, that's oh wow, yeah. so fast, and we have no real good aerial imagery. Plus, I mean, they could fly it right now; they will be out of date like a month from now. So, how mm -hmm. do we get like? almost like real-time aerial imagery, I mean, would be fantastic using drones. Yeah, certainly could do it. The, obviously, there is a funding component there. Right, well, <laughs> like, uh, paying yeah. somebody to go out and collect that stuff. Right, but I mean, it would be an opportunity for us to do that, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're talking about river lights, which is the area along the Cape Fear River, right? Um, kind of south of downtown, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, that area is blowing up. Yeah. And, so. uh, which is also interesting because they're basically building that right on top of Looks like wetlands to me. I don't. Oh, there you go with your flooding <laughs> and your prediction of that. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work either. I mean, yeah. we haven't been through a major storm since that really has mm -hmm. been built out. So I'm curious to see how that's going to work. Yeah. Um, anything else happening at the city? Um, like, what, what's your what's your day to day life like as a GIS manager for an entire city? I mean. Is it just chaos? Is it every day? Do you have a good structure of things that Well, happen? you like to have a structure every day, but then something might pop up that will throw uh -huh. the whole schedule you know, out of the window. But I mean, our first thing is always my first responsibility morning is just checking if our infrastructure is still up and running, the servers and everything. Everybody has mm -hmm. access to the data. And usually I'll, they'll let me know really fast because there's so many things running on this GIS now. I think that's been one of the big changes for, the, for us in GIS that if GIS goes down, EAM is down at enterprise mm -hmm. asset management system. They cannot do without GIS. So that's for us has been a big change. So we, my core responsibility is in the beginning is like in the morning, is everything up and running? Did nothing crash in the middle of the night? So, <laughs> and then we just have lots of different things coming in, like addressing issues, stormwater billing issues. Uh, we have a little. What happens if something does crash? Like, what's what? What's your response to that? Like something's down. It's, does uh, this happen often? No, but when it happens, it's usually not good. Um, yeah. It doesn't happen that often, but we have uh, a high availability enterprise system, mm -hmm. uh, enterprise system, and it means that, um, in theory at least, if one of our components goes down, somebody will the other one will automatically pick it up. We have about twelve servers now, virtual servers. But in reality, it's more like if one little component goes down, the whole thing goes down. Mm -hmm. I don't know how Esri sold us that whole, whole idea, <laughs> but it's not really working well for us. But yeah, so we have, of course, a network team that will help us out when there's issues. And if it's really specifically GIS, we'll reach out to Esri mm -hmm. as fast as we can. And we have like prior premium support, so they usually uh, are really out there helping us as fast as possible. But it's... Mm -hmm. uh, because, I mean, we talk about this whole bright knowledge, or this knowledge that GIS people need to have. When you're like a manager, you need to have some IT knowledge as well. You need mm -hmm. to know a little bit about servers. You need to know a little bit about ArcGIS Enterprise. So it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. What type of interplay does the GIS have with elections? Like, does the city do anything with... That's a county thing. It's yeah. a county thing? But, okay. Um, in my pre, I used to be a uh, GIS manager for the city of Fayetteville, and GIS mm -hmm. was more involved with that because that was one of those areas where um, Civil Rights Act was still applied. So they had to, mm -hmm. every time it was like a redistricting, and GIS was used for the redistricting. They had like council districts, not like here where everybody's mm -hmm. at large. So it had to go to the state to be approved. It had to go then to the Department of Justice to be approved. So when I started there, my first job had to do was make sure that GIS was helpful with redistricting these districts. Mm -hmm. You know, redistricting is a very political process and sure. it can get very political. But Yeah. 
Um, yeah, one of the most exposed areas for GIS, I, could, I guess you could say, uh, mapping in general is just around these elections. You always see the map, right? right. They always have the map up and it's right. red or it's blue or it's right. purple or right. it's in some, some form or fashion. Um, one interesting application I've seen, I think it was Winston-Salem last elections, they have like these wait lists. So you can see if you have mm -hmm. your, your, your voting areas and the place where you vote, they have like interactive maps where it has like real-time data of like how long the line is. Oh, okay. Uh, that kind of stuff is that's interesting, a, yeah, yeah. That's a good use case for it. it. Is, yeah, yeah. Do you think that displaying the data like that, though, as a uh, at the county level of being red or blue or purple or whatever, do you think that's a good way to visualize it or... Um, well, when you see these maps like United States, the election districts by, by you know, by district or whatever, no, because it kind of like, uh, it kind of over-representative, like the rural areas, you know, the larger yeah. areas. It's not where the people live. It doesn't show you where the people vote. It shows you the right. area voting really in, in a weird way. So I oh, don't yeah. think that's very realistic. You know, it's like when you see the, uh, the election results map from the United States, it's it's majority is red, and then you have some blue areas. But of right. course, the blue areas are in the cities. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, um, but when you look at the map and not knowing that, it looks like, well, right. this should be easy. Red has won. There's not some giant plane in Oklahoma that's voting for anything. Right, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, no, uh, that's not the most... I don't, you don't really have a lot of other options, though. You, mm -hmm. I've seen maps where actually the individual votes, you know, like, like when you really zoom in, you kind of see the individual votes almost. Oh, okay. But, That'd be kind of um, interesting. But then, of course, on a large scale like that, it was one big blob of stuff. So, um, <laughs> But, yeah, yeah, people need to realize that, 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 that land doesn't vote. Land doesn't vote. Land no, doesn't vote. It's that's, people vote. Yeah, that's, that's uh, a good way to think about it. Um, I just... But it always comes up every year. I always see, cause, because I'm in the GIS space and right. things like that, I always see people saying, oh, we shouldn't represent the maps like this. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know a better way to do it. I've been yeah, racking my brain. If you know a better way. <laughs> there's actually an interesting book was written. Oh, I forgot the author. It's somebody who works for Esri. Uh, anyway, he took like mm -hmm. one data set about the election results. And he had, I think, 100 different thematic mm -hmm. maps in that book showing how it could be visualized different ways, mm -hmm. like 100, 100 different ways. Okay. Because, you know, there's this famous book, uh, was written, I think, in the 80s or so. It was like uh, Lie with Maps or Lying with Maps. So you can, you can have the same data and make it look like something completely different. But right, it's right, easy right. to lie with yeah. maps. You need to know, you know. Lying with maps. Lying yeah. with maps, your color, the way you represent the data. It just can present it. Something completely different. And it you looks can have so the same data set, but it looks different. And maps look so authoritative, right? right? Like right. They, if you have a map, it's like, well, they look really legit. Right. You know, you have a map over here. Right. And right. This is this because I've right. colored it this way. But right. People right. don't realize right. how, one, how right. easy it is right. to make a map. Right. right. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's easy to, uh, you know, make it look something completely different. You have it a little bit with the election map because when you look yeah, at yeah. that map with the red and blue, you think, well, red won the election because it's like majority of areas uh -huh. have voted red. But that's not what it, you know, it's like not really, that's not reality because cities mm -hmm. vote blue. That's where all the people live. So when you add everything up, blue won or not of it. So you talked about how GIS people have to be creative, curious. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone entering the GIS field for the first time that's kind of stepping into it. Uh, what does three decades sound like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I assume that when you graduate as GIS analyst, you already have the creativity 
you know, in, in you and the curiosity. Because I do feel that's like one of the core elements of a jazz analyst. For anybody who just comes out of college, my biggest advice was is connections, connections, connections. I'm not talking about technical skills, like, but make connections with people. It's so much easier when you become a part of a group, like a users group or go to conferences, make connections. Because mm-hmm. it's everybody who comes from college is smart, but how do you stand out from the rest of the crowd? So I think connections is going to be important. When you come from academia into GIS field, usually what I've noticed that there's a lack of knowledge of databases. It's mm. like usually, uh, yes, in college is very focused on imagery and for something in local government, we really don't use it a whole lot, So, but we use a lot of databases. Mm-hmm. So yeah, some database skills, like some SQL, you know, and write, how to know how to write a query is very important. Um, so that would be, my, but I think connections, connections, connections. You know, even go on LinkedIn and, and, and create connections, post stuff on LinkedIn, you know, make, yeah. make people know you. It makes life so much easier in starting your career, it really does. Be involved, be actively involved in the profession. Go to a conference, present at a conference, make yourself stand out from the crowd. That's good. Make connections, make right. yourself stand out from right. the crowd. Right. Go to the conferences. Conferences right. are great because you get right. to interact with leadership at all levels. Right. You know, most right. most leaders are at these conferences. Right. Yeah. You know, and the first time might be a little you might be a little nervous. Yeah, that's you all don't right. know anybody, but the second time you go, <laughs> you know people already. And the third time, man, it's mm-hmm. going to, to a class reunion. You know everybody. So, but yeah. I mean, it just helps you when you want to change or start your career or you want to go somewhere else. Having connections in place makes 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 a difference. Makes a big difference. And I would say definitely, if, if you're entering the field, definitely go to the conferences. I I know when someone's nervous, right? Right, and they're and that's fine. Right. It's totally cool. And and. One of the great things about this community is we'll, right. we'll help people out. It's right. fun. It's not, no. you know, be nervous, ask a weird question. It's all good. We'll, we'll people get there. are very helpful. If you reach out, they will help you. Mm-hmm. I've never met a GS person that was unwilling to help me out with something. Never happened. All right. They're the best people in the world. That's what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> <laughs> the GIS people are the best people in the world. All right, Richard. Okay. Um, one last thing. All right. If you had to have one message for the world... What would it be? Please apply for a jazz analyst position in the city of Wilmington. <laughs> Go to the city of Wilmington, North Carolina website, because that's really what that's, I'm looking for right this now. This is what's going to no. be on Richard's tombstone. No, no, jazz has always been the future and it's still the future. It's an exciting field to be in and a lot has changed and there's going to be a lot of changes coming up, but it's like, I cannot think of a better career to have had or to, uh, to actually have. I'm still, I'm still active, but it's been, uh, it's been a great field and anybody that is interested in geography, I mean, just see the world. Go, go do GIS. I mean, see fantastic. the world. Go do be creative. GIS. Be curious. That's that's awesome, Richard. Thank you for being here so much. Thank really you. great to have you. Thank you. Have somebody that loves GIS as much as you do. Um, thanks for listening. If you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a five star review uh, and subscribe on YouTube as well. This is the NDS Show.